If you're a woman over 40 dealing with hot flashes, insomnia, brain fog, moodiness, or weight gain, you don't have to accept it as just another part of aging. The experts at Midi Health know all these symptoms can be connected to the hormonal changes of menopause. And Midi can help with safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions covered by insurance. 91% of Midi patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. This episode is brought to you by Kia's first three-row all-electric SUV, the Kia EV9. With available all-wheel drive and seating for up to seven adults. With zero to 60 speed that thrills you one minute. And available lounge seats that unwind you the next. Visit kia.com slash EV9 to learn more. Ask your Kia dealer for availability. No system, no matter how advanced, can compensate for all driver error and or driving conditions. Always drive safely. Every day, we rise. Challenging ourselves to work for what we believe in. At U.S. Border Patrol, protecting our borders is more than a job. It's a calling. Agents answer the call, working together to keep our country and communities safe. If you are ready for a new mission, join U.S. Border Patrol and go beyond. Learn more at cbp.gov slash careers. UWA 517, do you want to report a UFO? Negative. We don't want to report. Aries 31, do you wish to report a UFO? Over. Negative. We want to report one of those either. Uh, Aries 31, do you wish to file a report of any kind? Over. I wouldn't know what kind of report to file, sir. Uh, Aries 31, uh, me neither. Number 71, pop the golf. Good. Yeah, was anybody uh, above us that passed us like 30 seconds ago? Number 71, pop the golf. Negative. Okay. Pop this. A UFO. Yeah. Hey, it's American 295. Yeah, something just passed over. It's a bike up. Don't know what it was, but it's at least two, three 3,000 feet above us. So yeah, it passed right over the top of us. 911. You guys busy? Did we just call about the UFOs we mm-hmm. They're out there. Same yeah. airplanes. And it is such. Okay. Bob, I swear to God, four calls in on an unidentified object over Liberty. Four calls. Four calls on an unidentified flying object. All right, man, take a look. All right, we'll check it out. Welcome to UFO Chronicles, a place where people share their experiences of the strange and unexplained. If you've had an encounter and would like to be on the show, you can email me at ufochronicles at gmail.com. Hello and welcome to the show, everybody. How are you all? I'm Nick Hunter and you're listening to the UFO Chronicles podcast. This episode, we stay within the United Kingdom. And first we meet Gareth in South Wales. And Gareth's strange encounter occurred in the Welsh Valleys in 1981, when himself and a couple of friends witnessed a bright blinding light and a figure upon a ridge. Then we head over the Welsh border to Paul in Cambridgeshire. And Paul will be sharing UFO encounters that began in 1978 when he witnessed a cigar-shaped object. 
and several other sightings he experienced up until present day. Paul has also had a few interesting paranormal events happen in his life and notably a couple which certainly saved his life. Now just quickly uh, a couple of things. Over the last few months I've received a few emails asking why I've stopped releasing episodes or have I died? And the problem seems to reside in certain podcast apps like Apple and others and they seem to need to be updated or refreshed. So in the future if this happens just update your apps first or check out my website ufochroniclespodcast.com to see if there are new episodes. They always come out on a Sunday and my episodes tend to be recorded months in advance so there's no intention to end the podcast or even die just yet. If you enjoy listening to the podcast and would like to help support my work there is a couple of ways to do this. Either you can join Patreon and become a patron of the show for as little as $5 a month or you can donate via PayPal and if you like, you can set up monthly reoccurring payments. All links to support the podcast are below in the show notes and on the website. Any help is extremely appreciated and it helps the show to continue running. Now, on with the show. Hello, Gareth. Welcome to the podcast. Hi, Nick. How are you? I'm great, thank you. Thank you for coming on and joining us this evening. No, it's a pleasure. Pleasure to uh, to come and chat. And you're calling from South Wales in the United Kingdom? Yeah, that's correct. Now, Gareth, you're going to be sharing an experience you had in the Valleys at the age of 12. Would you like to start there for us, please? Yeah, sure. So, yeah, I was around 12 years old, so I'm early 50s now. Uh, I think that was around 1981, so some time ago. And as you said, it's in the South Wales Valleys area, which um, if people don't know, is obviously an industrial coal and steel area, as was. Um, a lot of that has sort of gone away now, but a bit like sort of coal and steel areas of Pennsylvania, I guess, if people know, know, know that a bit more. But at this time, uh, so the industry was still up and running and very heavily going. Uh, and geography-wise, as you said, valleys, so it's a series of steep valleys in this coal field with small towns all in between. Uh, the coal mines and the steelworks, etc. So at that time, uh, I was brought up in that area, and my grandparents lived lived in one of these towns. So quite often, I'd stay with them. And my father's younger brother, so so my uncle, but he wasn't much older than me. He was around when I was twelve. He's probably seventeen, eighteen, and his friend around his age. We used to sort of hang around a bit, and we'd go out and play, and uh, you know, hang around, kick a ball around. But off the main sort of valley area, if you like, you'd have some sort of small green valleys, no industry, little offshoots, if you like. Well, we used to like to explore those and hang around the woods and play as kids do. So this particular evening, and I recall it was cold, a really cold and clear night uh, and starry night, I think sort of end of November, early December. And we, it was early evening time, probably around now six, seven. And we went for a walk around and walk up through some woods. And just to sort of, so the listeners can sort of picture it, we were on a steep hillside, walking parallel to the ridge of the hill. So to our left um, was a ridge about 100 yards up uh, and, and following along the line of it. And below us, probably two, 300 yards was the, the bottom of this little valley. And to our right uh, was, was a wooded area. To our left was an open hillside. So as we walked along parallel to the wood to our right, 
the open hillside was running to our left and we could see the ridge of the hill. I can recall as we're walking along, all of a sudden to our left up on the ridge line was this intense, intense white and bluish light. And I would say as we're looking up, it just completely lit up the ridge of the hill up above us. And width-wise, I would say sized probably 100 yards wide, just this immense white light shining up from the ground up into the sky with like a bluish tinge. And we couldn't see where this emanated from, but it lit the ridge, which was obviously coming up sort of a black line across it. We all just stopped and sort of froze and looked at it, I recall. And as we were looking, not sure how long this was going for, perhaps a few seconds at this point, there was that strange clanking, sort of metallic noises, like an odd whirring sound, just really odd noises. I can remember getting quite scared and just transfixed by it. And as I looked up, all of a sudden I could see sort of a dark figure appear on the ridge line. I would describe this figure looking like a large built man, I would say six, seven feet, I'm guessing, sort of quite a big, sort of athletic build, if you like. But the outline against this intense light was difficult to describe, almost like as if he was wearing something. It wasn't like a ordinary jacket or jeans being silhouetted. It looked like quite sharp lines. And the best way I think I chatted you previously was to describe was if you imagine somebody in sort of scuba gear or, or a wetsuit, but without all the tank and all the bits and bobs, just the suit, it looks clean cut as that. So as we, I was looking up and we were just stood there, this figure started to walk off the ridge, just down towards us a little bit. And in the center of, it, of the head, of its, its head, was an intense white beam uh, coming out. I guess almost like if you imagine a head torch as you get these days for walking or outdoor uh, stuff, but it, but it was much more intense and much bigger. So just this very bright, large white light emanating out, almost like a torchlight. Um, again, I can recall just being scared stiff and just transfixed by it. But then I recall the hillside started to shake and, and vibrate. This noise was still going. Uh, and then to the open area, uh, up ahead of us were all sort of sheep uh, fields, if you like. So a little mountain farms let sheep graze on there. And they're all dry stone walls separating the fields. And some of the stone from these walls suddenly started to roll down and, and to be dislodged, I think, by the vibration. And that seemed to, I think, spark us into some sort of movement. Because the three of us just, I recall, just looked at each other and just ran and ran as fast as we could down to the the woods to our right and kept running and kept running um we're probably about 15 20 minutes from where my grandparents live i recall we just ran and ran straight back to the house and sort of flew in through their back door um scared stiff about what happened um didn't look back after 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 running and just kept going time wise i guess perhaps the incident was a few minutes long and i say it's, it's sort of 40 years ago now it's a long time but it's been etched on my memory ever since really no idea what I was looking at what I was seeing I've tried to sort of think it through logically about what it isn't and I guess there's no industry of those industrial area there's no industry at all in that, in that little valley or on top of the valley or beyond it beyond the ridge and there's no police military any sort of activity like that goes goes on up there or did at any time so I've got no logical sort of answer as to why uh, anything like that would occur or what it was and thinking about anybody playing a hoax I guess well why would they who would they expect to be up there because nobody used to really hang around there perhaps for 
asked for on occasion. So there'd be a bit of an elaborate thing to do with the chance of seeing somebody with pretty remote. So it was just a very strange uh, occurrence, Nick. And uh, apart from close family, it's the first time I've really shared it. But it's, it's always been etched on my memory. I say it's a long time ago. I guess if I was being cynical, like somebody asked me now, I think, well, you were a kid, you know, your memory's playing tricks. But it's clear as day in my mind and nothing that will really change with that memory over all this time, you know. Completely etched in there. Yeah, yeah. It's, uh, it's such a strange thing. And I can almost envisage myself back there as, as I recall it to you now. When you got down to your grandparents' house, did you um, did you tell them? Yeah, I did. It was, it was almost a sort of comical scene at that point because I, I remember coming flying through their back door like I'd been running like 100 miles an hour. And they used to sit quite quietly in their back room, um, you know, listening to the radio quietly. So I flew in. I think they, they jumped out of their skins. And I remember I was jabbering on to the 19 to the dozen. Uh, I do recall um, sketching it, doing a drawing of what I saw. What became of that, I never know. It was but a childlike drawing. But I remember trying to tell them, and they were just sort of, you know, just sort of shrugged it off and thought, you know, kids being kids or whatever. But um, it was such a, such an odd experience that's always stuck with me. Do you remember roughly when it when it was in 1981? Yeah, I think... I always remember, I think, end of November, early December. And I remember it was a really clear, starry um, night and the moon was um, quite bright. I say this because where we walked, was, there's no streetlights. Obviously, we'd walked up this sort of remote valley from the town. And so I can remember we, we used to do that and we used to see, be able to see because it was you know, lit up with the, um, with the moon enough to sort of walk up a path. So it was a bit of a dirt path, if you like, before the open ground and, with, and to the woods to our right. It was a parallel to the length of the valley. I mean, during those 1981, you know, there was a lot of stuff going on. <laughs> you know, you know, we had uh, Alan, yeah. Alan Godfrey up north. Um, he was in ni- 1980, and then you had Rendlesham, which was just a matter of weeks yeah. weeks later. Yeah, it was that sort of time. And- you know, so it's, um, and of course, South Wales, Wales in general, you know, has always been a hot spot for UFO encounters. Yeah, and it, um, it, I definitely... Um, recall it being that time and, and I know just taking an interest in the topic you know in more recent times it's been reports from the area you know right up until today really oh yeah ongoing it is ongoing it's just odd isn't it and it's um it, I've never been able to I can see it now clear as day this intense light and this sort of figure and you know there's no rational explanation if you like as I said there's no activity up there there's no industry in that bit there's no there's no, you know, army base or anything like that. Could people be doing anything in the night? I mean, like you said, you know, no industry, nobody working up there. So you can kind of discount like a, you know, like a farmer up there or, any, or anyone, you know, with his headlights beaming and him coming out. So you can, you can kind of dis- yeah. discount all things like that. Yeah, because one of the things you said about my grandparents, they sort of said, ah, because you get a lot of those off, off-road scrambler bikes, you know, kids, especially early 80s, were big into the sort of Japanese bikes when they, you know, and it was a big thing. And they sort of said, ah, oh, it's probably kids on motorbikes. That this wasn't that, you know. I know the son of a motorbike and did then. And, you know, you'd have the sort of, if you had a headlight sort of flashing around, but this was immense. <laughs> and, you know, and also what uh, what shook us into running was actually the, the mountain shaking. I recall, you know, the dry stone walls sort of, get those sort of thin stones sort of about 18 inches long and two inches thick. There's loads of those coming rolling end over end down past us. And that seemed to shake us, sort of wake us up and think, bloody hell, we need to run, you know? Yeah, that would do it. <laughs> yeah, and you think, well, what is dislodging all of those and creating a massive light and who's walking around with a massive head torch? It just none of it makes any sense, you know? It doesn't. But then again, a lot of these encounters, they don't make a whole lot of sense. No, no. But I certainly, I can't think of any rational reason and never have 
uh, as to who would be doing that sort of thing. And I said hopes, you know, I, I don't see it. It's a bit elaborate for the chances of nobody seeing it. Yeah, it's a bit like the Bigfoot stories and stuff. I mean, a lot of these, these encounters are in the middle of literally nowhere when, you know, you don't have the chance of bumping into someone. I mean, fair enough, if, if it's on video, then chances are someone put a costume on and then recorded it. But- yeah. You know, but like, like you said, you know, it's, it's very remote where you are and the chance of someone going yeah. up there for a bit of a joke and then being yeah. seen by someone, you know, I, I'd chuck that straight out. Yeah, I agree. And, and it would be pretty elaborate as well just to even create that intensity of light because literally the width, I would say, could be like 100 yards at the top of the ridge, completely white piercing light going up into the sky with like blue tinge to it and this really odd sort of metallic sound. So I even think, was there any sort of diggers up there and that sort of thing? But it, it wasn't, you know, there's nothing up there to this day. Have you been up, when was the last time you were kind of up the area? Oh, it's a long time now. So I live just down towards Newport now, but um, uh, my grandparents died, sort of, last one died about 15 or so years ago. So uh, I mean, I, I go up occasionally, drive, I have to drive up to the area. Actually on that spot would be some time ago, but, you know, I, I, I'm pretty confident it hasn't changed in a long time, you know. When you get a chance, if you can draw us um, a sketch of what you saw. Yeah. Obviously, you probably ain't going to find the original drawing, but, you know, just what you can no, from, no. from memory. And um, yeah, and if you could pinpoint it roughly where, well, hopefully exactly where, you know, actually saw it and, and where where you were. Yeah, I can, um, I could um, possibly watch over a picture from Google Maps. I know exactly where it was. That's wonderful. I know we can kind of class as, a, as an explain, but what, what do you kind of think it was? Do you know what? I, I don't, my gut tells me it's, it's, there's only really two options for me. It's either some sort of military, you know, secret military aircraft that for some reason needed to put down there and take that off, or it was, you know, um, as we would say, a UFO, because I've got no other rational reason or tangible thing I can say. Well, I think it's that. So I know, I'm not well sure what account it is. It's uh, one from America where a guy's going in somewhere like Nevada or somewhere about neck of the woods, going along a sort of remote road and something lands in front of him and he sees a couple of people in overalls sort of get out and run around and then take off. I always thought when I heard that one that that, that was sort of possibly similar. But what I saw was sort of the person coming over the ridge, you know, it just looked strange. Even though I'd been in the military in the past, it had no luck to anything military. I'm, I've been sort of seeing myself. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Yeah, that was Socorro, I think you're thinking of. Right, yeah, that's right. Yeah, that, that, but even that was a little bold. I think the guy sort of says, you know, he was, he sort of, didn't see sort of overalls or some sort of flight suit type sort of description, but this was just nowhere near that. What struck me, it was like a large build, even though I appreciate I was a kid, but I still think now it's a large build, and the, just the clean lines of it, of the silhouette, if that makes sense. So if you or I stood in there on a cold night with a, a jacket and jeans on you'd see that sort of silhouette with you but this was like very uh uniform regimented i see right yeah i mean wales is a quite a popular tourist place for uh for ufo yeah. so may well be yeah i, I really know and i said you know and i think when we chat an email is the episode of the guy in the, the barrowing mountains the farmer in the 70s you know that, that's been on tv as well hasn't it i think on one of the programs where he sees that sort of intense light in the copse of woods down on further across the valley. And that's sort of the way he describes that light is very similar to, I think, what I saw. And that was a few years before. I think that was 74. Yeah, it was very re- Yeah, it was very recent between that. Yeah, but that, um, that uh, description, which I know, I think, I'm not sure if it was Ancient Aliens, one of those programs put, the, put it on, but that way he describes that intense white blue light behind a tree. So that's the sort of closest description to light of, of, you know, to what I saw. Or be it, he's nowhere near me in Wales, but worldwide, you know, it's not a million miles away. He's probably a hundred miles north. 
So any listeners out there are in the South Wales area, get in contact. Yeah, it's, a, it's, a, it's an interesting it's an interesting sort of event, which is, uh, as I said, it's always stuck in my mind. It always will. Yeah, you're right. And um, it's nice to be able to share it, actually, and, uh, you know, listen to your show, the, the events that people have witnessed or been part of, you know. Why would we all make this up? To, to, to what end? Yeah, exactly. I mean, I'm very lucky. I get predominantly good reviews for the show. The people that contact me are just normal, everyday people. People no, just want to share no. this, you know, so there's no reason why, you know, people are going to lie. You can, of course, you can never say 100% that someone's going to, you know, contact you and they've just completely made up story. You know, there are, people are very complex yeah. human beings in any case, you know. But. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They might want a bit of attention seeking because there's a lot of shows about the topic on at the moment or whatever. Yeah, exactly. But generally, you know, I mean, I'm pretty confident that just about everyone I've had on, they're telling the truth. And even if what they experienced wasn't what they think it is, you know, it's still it's still something. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, I agree. That's wonderful, Gareth. Well, it's a pleasure. No worries. So um, I said I can sort of relive it in my mind. So it's, uh, it's not difficult to sort of recount it, I guess. I mean, yeah, I mean, it's quite a while ago, mind. Yeah, it is. 40 years ago. Yeah. Well, Gareth, I really appreciate you coming on and uh, sharing it all for our listeners. No, it was a pleasure. No, a pleasure, Nick. Enjoyed it. Wonderful. All right. Thanks, Nick. You have you have a great evening, okay? And I'll talk to you. I'll talk to you soon. All right. Take care, Gareth. Yeah. Cheers, Nick. Introducing the High Strangeness Coffee Blend by Redacted Coffee Company, a medium roast of the Brazilian kind. This medium roast offers flavors of chocolate and vanilla combined with a distinct fruity taste and a unique sweet flora aroma. The experience of high strangeness doesn't end there, with a sweet butter aftertaste that doesn't fade as your coffee cools. This coffee regains its flavors all the way through your cup, ensuring it truly is good to the last drop. The veteran-funded, employee-owned, redacted coffee company and UFO Chronicles podcast have partnered together to bring you the best coffee on and off the planet. Get 20% off your first order now at redactedcoffee.com forward slash UFO. That's redactedcoffee.com forward slash UFO. Or follow the link below in this episode's description or click on the banner of my website. This podcast is fueled by coffee oozing high strangeness. So what are you waiting for? Wake up to the strange. Hello, Paul. Good morning and welcome to the podcast. Hi, Nick. Calling from Cambridgeshire in the UK this morning. Yes. Yeah. Wonderful. Your first UFO experience occurred in 1978? Yeah, that's yeah, age uh, 14, yeah. Age 14, wonderful. Okay. Would you like to start there for us, please, Paul? Yeah, sure. So, yeah, I was. Oh, it was a Saturday, if I remember correctly, because I was at home and, and I I think I was at home alone. I've got, I had four sisters and brothers, like, so it was five of us, plus mum and dad, seven of us at home. But it was a Saturday afternoon, blue skies, warm day. I can't remember exactly what month or, or day it was, but I know it was a Saturday because I come downstairs and I was going to watch uh, the Pink Panther show which was on uh, and I used to quite like then. So I, I came downstairs, put a telly on. There was nobody in that room. There, there might have been one of my sisters upstairs, but there was nobody around. So we had a, a, a sort of long living room, which has your dining room as you come in. Then there was a room divider and then there was a living room with a TV in the corner. We had a sofa across the back window that looked out over the back garden and across over the fence and trees. And I was sort of sat there. I put the put the TV on and uh, was waiting for this show to come on. And I looked out of the window. As I say, it was a clear blue sky. 
and out above the trees, it was quite, must have been quite low because this thing was quite big. Was this, all I can say, is a craft. It was silver. And the shape of it that I could see was like a cigar shape. So and when I say cigar shape, it was rounded at both ends. It wasn't cut off one end to smoke. It was a rounded shape on both ends. But for somehow, some reason, that's what I saw, but I know it was a disc shape. So I think I was seeing it flat on the side. Uh, I don't know why I know it was a, a disc shape, but I, I just seem to know that it was a disc. But anyway, this ship was up there. It wasn't moving at all. It was just sitting there. And I was sort of drawn, really drawn to it and mesmerised by this, looking at this. And I could feel myself having to sort of pull myself away when I'd been looking, while I was looking at it. I had to really sort of uh, make an effort to sort of turn my head away from this uh, and stop looking at it. So, I, And I did manage to do that. And I, I looked back and I saw that, the show was just getting ready to start. Uh, and so I thought, oh, I'll just look back thinking this thing will be gone. And it wasn't, it was still there. And so again, I was drawn to this. So I, I can't believe that I looked at it for this amount of time. But when I then tried to look back at the TV, the, the show had finished. There was a, another show on, I don't know what it was, maybe the news or something, but it, it, it gone. And this show was at least half an hour long. And that was well, well gone. And I looked at the clock and, and, and almost an hour had gone. Now, I can't remember looking at this thing for an hour or feeling that I'd sat there just sort of you know in a trance looking at this thing I don't know what happened I was 14 at the time I didn't know what experiences was and lost time or really anything about UFOs I'd heard the word obviously UFO and knew about you know spaceships and all that but I didn't really know anything about I didn't know what a grey was or anything like that so for me it was a bit curious and I can remember walking through to the kitchen and checking the clock because I thought maybe the clock was wrong but the clock was the same in the kitchen and, and I always thought like that's really really strange but just sort of moved on with it sort of thing didn't say anything to anyone because i thought they'd all think i'm barking mad at 14 and so um just just sort of left that as as the experience it was and then sort of a couple of weeks later i'd gone to bed and i woke up i didn't share my room i had my own room and i woke up and i could not move i was sleep paralysis whatever you call it i was glued to the bed the only thing i could move was my eyeballs and to the side of me as i looked to the side of me i could see this figure in the uh, upstairs landing just outside my bedroom my door was open um, but i couldn't see who or or what it was but i somehow realized it wasn't anybody from the house it wasn't my family sisters on my mum and dad so I was a bit nervous because obviously I couldn't move and I could see this figure and I was wondering what was going on and then the next thing I was at the top of the stairs I was out of bed and I was at the top of these stairs and at the bottom of the stairs was this figure now then at 14 I had no idea what this was I was just really really scared I was really frightened not you know not knowing what this was I know that it was a gray now because when I saw a picture of a gray sometime later I realised it straightway took me to that memory. And this thing was at the bottom of the stairs and it was beckoning me to come down the stairs. And I thought it wanted me to jump because I can remember not saying anything, but thinking I'm going to hurt myself. I'm going to break my legs if I try and jump down here. And this thing was saying to me, don't worry, you're fine, you're safe. You're okay, don't be afraid. And then I came downstairs, but I didn't walk. It was like I was just floating down the stairs. And I got to the bottom of the stairs and this uh, grey, this thing was right by the front door. And as you got to the bottom of the stairs on your left was my was the living room, dining room area. My, I could hear the TV on, so my parents were still up. I could hear the TV on and I could hear some talking, whether it was my parents or the, or the, or the TV, I'm not sure. But I could hear some muffled voices because it was right down the other end of the room. I could hear that clearly. And then 
I was outside of the house. I'd gone out. I don't remember the doors opening. I got outside the house and I can see the sky. And then from that moment, I don't remember anything else after that. I woke up the next morning and uh, I was in bed. I was, I, I felt I got up and I sort of, you know, touched myself, felt myself just, you know, I'm all there and all pieces and, and all, all was okay. I didn't feel ill. I uh, felt a bit tired, uh, a bit disheveled, if you like. But yeah, I don't really know what happened there. It wasn't a dream. I was wide awake for sure. But uh, it, it was, a, that was the one time I was, I was quite scared and quite quite nervous about it and then sort of after that I started to notice that I had the almost like a sixth sense I suppose an ability I could and I'll go into this in more details in a minute but I had this ability to sense things especially with people so uh, I could sense people that were not good so I would do the hairs would go on the back of my neck and sometimes I would get this message in my head now, I say message, it wasn't, can't say it was voices, but it was like a message would come and say to me, you know, this this is not good, you know, back away from these people, whatever. And, I, and I'll explain, as I say, a little bit more as I go along. But I could also sort of sense uh, when someone was pregnant, it was things like that that was just more intuitive that I hadn't noticed before. And this continued for a long time in my life, uh, certainly up and through into my 20s. This time I was 14, but this carried on through uh, into my 20s and 30s. And it, it has come back a little bit over time. But as an example, I can tell you when I was sort of 14, 15, I had a friend who had made friends with a couple of lads who were twins. And they lived up in a home just at the back of our house, about 10 minutes walk. And these guys, as soon as I met them, the hairs on the back of my head, the skin started to crawl. Didn't I didn't like them. And this message came in my head, just stay away. Don't don't go near these guys. Stay away. And I, when we came away, I said to my mate, I didn't have a good feeling about them. I don't think they're right. And he, oh, no, they're all right. They're all right. And uh, anyway, cut a long story short, uh, a few a couple of months later, they were gone. And my mate, I, I didn't go and hang around with them anymore. My mate said, oh, they've gone. They, they, I, th- I think if I remember rightly, they stabbed somebody up in that hostel and they'd gone to a portal but they did something that was not good I, I can't exactly remember what but they certainly hurt somebody up there and he'd said to me afterwards yeah they were a bit crazy they were a bit bit, bit nutty like you know uh, and so I thought oh right okay so you know this this thing is is definitely something to take notice of and so I've had smaller things happen with that and then moving on to sort of, uh, uh, sort of 1981 i uh, I got a job as an apprentice chef in London, so I moved up to London, uh, lived in the staff accommodation, and I trained as a chef. I was at one of the big uh, four-star, five-star hotels in London. And so I was probably, yeah, it was 81. So I was off this day in the morning. It was a weekend, and again, it was a sunny day, and I was getting ready to go to work and have something to eat because we could use cafeteria because we were in the staff accommodation, and then start work in the afternoon. I'd, I'd normally went home for the weekend. But on this weekend, they'd offered us some overtime to earn a bit more money, so I decided to stay. Uh, and I got ready, and I went to go out and leave. I said to my mates, I'm off and um, to work and have something to eat. And so I came out of the house. We lived on a square. This was in uh, near, near um, uh, High Park. It was, uh, I can't remember the name of the address now, but it was a square and it went in in a U shape. So you came in, you could come in either way, you went round and you come out the square the other side back onto the main road. And in the middle was a, a sort of garden, which was for the use of the people there. And uh, uh, there was trees and that. It was all very sort of enclosed. So it was quite private. So I came out, started walking down the street and straight away, this message came in my head for me to stop, stop walking. And I stopped walking and thought that's strange. And I looked around and I couldn't see anyone. It was a nice day. It was very quiet. I looked behind me, nothing. Couldn't see anybody through the trees or bushes in the in the park. Couldn't see any sort of danger or anything like that. And so I started walking again. And again, this message said, stop walking. 
And I stopped again, looked around, and just at that point, so I was about to start walking again, these two, uh, two lads came up to the corner, looked down the street, and then started coming down towards me. And they looked, you know, they were probably in their early 20s, you know, dressed for the day, didn't look anything unusual to them, just a couple of lads. And they were chatting, hands in their pockets, they had jackets on. And so I sort of looked, didn't feel anything at that point. And then I took, took one or two steps, uh, and this message came in my head, run. Just run. And it was almost like it was in capital letters. It came in my head really powerful, and I, it was like, run. And I stopped walking again and I, I looked at these two guys and I sort of caught one of the eyes of these two guys. And as soon as I caught that, the, the, the skin on my neck crawled and, you know, hairs went up on the back of my head. And I was like, what's going on here sort of thing. And I thought, right. So I thought, right, I'll turn around. So I turned around and started walking back to the accommodation. Obviously, I hadn't gone too far. So I just then took a brief look over my shoulder and both of these guys were, were running full pelt towards me and both of them had these uh, uh huge hunting knives i think you call them bowie knives or something like that but they had these huge knives on them and i was like <laughs> holy you know what's going on here sort of thing uh, and just ran i just ran and i managed to get upstairs you know get me keys in the door and and and, and get on the other side of the door before they got to the bottom of the stairs uh, and i've never seen these guys before in my life i don't know who they were uh, uh I, I think i mean from their intentions uh, they were going to kill me i think uh, i'm pretty sure of that but uh yeah i'd never seen them before and closed the door shouted up to a couple of friends who were in and they came running downstairs what's going on like, so I explained to them there's two guys out there with knives they're trying to stab me kill me or whatever like right one of my mates ran up and got a couple of golf clubs he had in his room and a bit of bravado but anyway i said look you know we left it a couple of minutes then we sort of looked out the windows couldn't see anyone we, we opened the doors and looked out and uh, uh couldn't see anyone anywhere the street was empty so my mate had, he, he had a car little fiat one and uh, he said come on Get, jump in the car and I'll just it was only a five minute walk around the corner he said I'll drop you around there and we'll see if we can see them but never saw them again we went around in the car and we had a little sort of drive around the streets before we went straight to work and couldn't see anyone anywhere these guys have gone very very bizarre I mean I've never forgot that to this day uh, and, and that sort of reinforced reaffirmed to me you know these messages that were coming I, I can't tell you why I'm getting these messages I don't think I'm special or anything like that um but but that definitely saved my life that day there's no doubt about that for what reason I, I can't tell you I went to work and I know for months afterwards I was whenever I was out my eyes were scanning, you know, the streets for these two faces because I won't forget them. Um, but I never, never saw them, never happened again, never came across them. I have no idea why or what. I think maybe they were out just to hurt someone and uh, stumbled across me. But as I say, I can't explain, you know, how or why that worked and, um, and how those messages came. But it, it just it saved my life that day. There's no doubt about it. And then, yeah, I mean, I've had other experiences, not, not so quite as dramatic as that, thank God. Um, but then there was another incident which moves on to 1987. And I was working as a chef again. I was at a different job by this time. And um, this job worked at a sort of nine to five, Monday to Friday, because I, I wanted a bit more time for myself working in hotels. Obviously, it's long hours. And uh, I was working working overtime so we would normally finish around four or five o'clock but uh, uh i won't say company names this is a big company and they sponsored a lot of um sporting uh, uh, events and some were televised and that and they had the facilities to, to to lay these on so we would get asked when these were on to do overtime uh, and work on these and, and i was working on one of these uh, events that night um, and would normally uh, finish any time depends what they, they i would what i would do was 
me and a couple of other guys would do all the preparation, get it all ready, and then the chef would send us home. He wouldn't keep us all there. Once that's done, he would say, fine, he would just keep uh, some waiters there and himself and maybe one other, uh, and they would then just distribute the food out uh, once the, the ceremony was over. And I got this message in my head to say, leave work. You need to leave work now and go home. And uh, I couldn't say why. I didn't have a feeling that anything was bad or anything like that. A bit like when the one story I just told you that at the beginning, I didn't think there was anything bad. But this was very adamant. I needed to leave work now and go home. And so it wasn't far off my finishing time, to be fair. So I went to the chef and said, look, can I nip off? I'm feeling tired. You know, everything's pretty much done. And he looks at the watch and said, no problem. So he let me go a little bit early. I think 15 minutes early or something like that. So I got dressed, got changed, got on a tube, took the tube. Went to King's Cross where I lived. I lived between King's Cross and Camden Town and would walk up York Way. So I got off the tube and was halfway up York Way. And then I start hearing all these blue lights going. And it was a lot. It just got louder and louder because obviously more and more vehicles were going to King's Cross. Uh, and obviously this was the night of the fire at King's Cross where, where a lot of people lost their lives in, in, in the underground. And I didn't know this at the time. Obviously, I got up home uh could still hear these blue lights going around uh, through the night i got home had a shower had a cup of tea put a telly on and then of course it was all on the news it was breaking news now i can't say for definite that that saved my life but certainly it's very strange that that, that that i got this message to go home immediately and get out of there and i sort of by sort of five minutes i missed this incident so you know i have no other reason to think that that's what it was because I only get these messages when when things uh, looks like I'm in danger of things. But so that that sort of um, messages in the head has been there are two sort of main instances instances that I can say have changed maybe my life a bit uh, and certainly made me sit up and think. And there's been smaller just other things. But I'll move on then to uh, 19, uh, 1992, which was my next sort of sightings of a UFO. Uh, in Scotland. So I was living just outside Edinburgh. I'd been up there a couple of years and I was working as a chef there. Uh, and I was out, gone to the cinema with three other people. And it was quite late. We'd gone to quite a late showing. So it was about 11, 11.30. We'd had something to eat afterwards. Uh, and we were on our way back along the main bypass just outside Edinburgh. And the four of us on this occasion, so I wasn't on my own, saw these orbs in the sky, uh, sort of near the Pentland Hills. So I would say they were above the Pentland Hills. And there were several of them, I think, you know, probably seven or eight of these orbs. Uh, and they were sort of, well, say, dancing around in the sky, moving between each other and sort of doing figures of eight. They were quite large i mean they were supposed a bit bigger than a tennis ball they were silver they were like whitey silver they didn't come any bigger or closer to us but we we spent a good we was there for quite a while i mean difficult sometimes to think time but i would say at least 10 15 minutes we were all in awe of seeing these orbs and seeing them and watching them dance around in the sky uh, to the point where you know i, I, I was quite happy to stand there and watch them until they disappeared but the others weren't so I mean we had, we had a, an elderly woman in there who had been with us and uh, she wanted to get home and it was bloody cold because it's cold. <laughs> it was in the winter time and uh, so we ended up just leaving and, and I can't I, I don't know why but I should have looked to see if there was anything in the news because I can't believe if we saw them that nobody else did it's quite possible that other people saw them but I can't explain what that was and I've seen similar sorts of i suppose ufos or unexplained lights orbs uh, since then as well um but that was the only one that i've had that i can say was uh, uh, witnessed and, uh, and after that i lived uh, in a village 
uh, just outside Edinburgh. And there were several occasions where there was one occasion where I woke up in my room. I thought it was headlights to a car, but the, the, the road ran alongside my apartment rather than towards it. So I never got headlights in the windows, but it, it wasn't. My room was lit up really, really bright white light i mean i can remember putting my hands over my eyes but it didn't seem to do anything the light seemed to come through my fingers and i don't remember anything after that but the next day i woke up and i was curled up in a fetal position in the bath in the bathroom next to my bedroom if i remember rightly i don't think i had any any pajamas on or anything i think i wore t-shirts and 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 shorts to bed but i didn't have anything on which was bizarre i've never sleep done sleepwalking i've never had any experiences of that and you know i've lived most of my life with other people i've not often been on my own and there's never been any instances as a child or growing up or even through my marriage for 20 years with my wife or any other partners i've lived with that i've ever sleepwalked so that was bizarre and that happened on two or three occasions where i actually for some reason and woke up in a different room, not in the bedroom where I went to bed and can't explain it. It is possible that I was sleepwalking, but while I would get into the bath and sleep and take my clothes off, I don't know. But I've never done that before, never since or anything like that. But uh, And that was not long after I saw those orbs in, in Scotland. So that, that was a little bit bizarre. So then sort of moving on from there, we come to sort of a period now, sort of, I suppose, you know, a number of years later, whereby I haven't really, I've not had any sort of uh, UFO experiences for a long time. And I got married, I got three kids and not really had anything since, since, since that period of time until we come to what was last year in October. And uh, I go out most nights, I walk my dog, uh, as I said to you. And um, I came out into the east. I know sort of the stars and constellations and where they all should be. Just caught my eye in the east, these two, what I thought were stars at first. And then I realised they were moving and they got a bit bigger and were certainly larger than uh, your, your normal star. But but I couldn't see them. They weren't big enough to say they were a craft or they looked like these orbs again to me. Um, but they were a bit smaller than the ones I saw in Scotland. And again, they were dancing around. They were doing sort of figure of eights. And on the on this first occasion, the two of them then joined together. So they collided, if you like, with each other or came together and became one. It didn't get any bigger didn't get any brighter it stayed as it was but one when they went as one that was it i never saw two of them again and then uh, the, the 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 one that was there disappeared just disappeared into the night so that was bizarre but then i came out the next day uh, not exactly the same time but a similar time i normally walk a dog between seven and nine most nights so it would have been between that sort of period of time and uh, there they were again in exactly the same spot up to the east and doing doing the same sort of thing. On this occasion, they, I, I watched them. They didn't come together as one. They just danced around each other and were moving around in the night sky. Um, they were slightly bigger this time than, than, the, than the day before, uh, so I assume they were a bit closer. Again, they then both just disappeared off together, and I didn't, didn't see them again then for, for, um, for a couple of weeks. So after those two instances, it was probably a week or two later I was coming back and I hadn't seen, and I'm, you know, like a lot of experiences, I'm eyes to the sky. As soon as I go out, I look up, see if it's clear sky, see if there's anything there. And so I, I do do look for these things, I suppose, um, but hadn't seen anything. I was coming home. We'd, we'd done, done our walk and it was, it was a, a pretty clear night. There was no, no low cloud or anything like that. Uh, as I approached the, the house, my house, um, you cut, I come in through the, what I call the gate, side gate. We've got a front door or side gate and the side gate takes you into the back door or you can go down the side of the house and into the garden so i would always come in through the side gate 
into the house uh, with a dog and that was us done with our walk. But on this night, and this is the first time I've had a message in a long time that I can remember, I got a message in my head saying, go to the back garden. And and I just walked straight there. I closed the gate, walked straight there with Maddie, the dog. And above my house, I mean, I was in shock. Above the house was this huge craft. I mean, it was it, I couldn't see it all, but it was huge. The front of it or, or, or one end of it that I could see, the rest of it seemed to be cloaked because I couldn't see, as I moved into the garden, I couldn't see any more. It was like it was just, I don't know, in a, in a cloud or in a, I don't know what it was, but I have to assume thinking about it, it was somehow cloaked because I think this was just for me to see above the house. And it was almost like a, yeah, hi, we're here. I don't get scared about these things. I can't say I was scared, but I was really shaken that this thing was so close to the house. I mean, it was literally just above the house. It was that close that I shone my torch on it. I always carry a torch at night time and I shone my torch on it and I got no reflection from it. It seemed to absorb the light. It stayed there for, for a number of seconds and I got uh, different settings on my torch. So I put it on strobe light. And as soon as I did that, it just moved up and disappeared. Now, you know, when I walked into the front of the house to come into the garden, there was nothing above the house. It was just normal. And this thing was that big, you know, I would have seen it coming in. So I really don't understand that. But obviously, they, they've got technology. They, they were cloaking it in some way. And so I was totally shocked. I mean, that shock that I went in and spoke to my wife about it and said, look, I've just seen this. She knew I'd seen these other sort of unexplained uh, UFOs on the previous week that were dancing in the sky that I said. And so I said to her, she said, oh, your friends are back. I said, it looks like it. But then she, she could see that I was a bit shaken up having seen this one right above the house. And it sort of unnerved me a little bit. But, you know, uh, OK, I mean, uh, you know, I think uh, you don't know until you get it on the day. But I think if one of these <laughs> stood in my garden and said hi, I wouldn't run. I'd, I would want to know because for years, I want to know why the, Why did I get these messages? What was it for? You know, but I have no idea. So anyway, I told my wife straight away. We didn't say anything to the kids. And I hadn't told my story to the children or to my wife, to be fair, not this full story. They, I'd spoke to them about seeing UFOs, but I hadn't told them the complete picture of all the other things that had gone on in my life. And so I, I didn't, we don't want to speak to the kids. But a couple of days later, two days after that, I was upstairs, me and my wife, and we were talking about it again. And my son came in the room. He's 18 years old. And I just said to him, oh, have you had... Have you had any strange things going on or seen anything strange and and what have you he said oh he said yeah he said two nights ago he said i thought Cartier was in my room he said somebody ran someone or something ran across my bedroom he said and it just disappeared and i just thought oh, and i went back to sleep he said i just thought it was Cartier, who's my youngest daughter it wasn't her she was sleeping that night and she doesn't sleepwalk none, none of the kids sleepwalk or anything like that and it wasn't her that was a little bit unnerving because obviously you know, I know a lot of people on your show have said where they've had experiences, their parents or their, their children also get experiences. So but I can't say anything bad has happened to me. In some ways, I've had some good things that have, have kept me alive. So uh, I don't know what that was. I can't say for sure. But uh, yeah, that, that sort of unnerved me a little bit. So I then thought, right, OK, so they've, they've sort of shown their shown their face to me they've they've come above the house and 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 shown this craft to me i can't say why just to say yeah look we are here you know we are back or whatever are you intrigued by paranormal talk radio you'll love the new paranormal radio app from talk stream live you'll find a great selection of talk shows covering ufos ghosts strange phenomena and much more. Download the Paranormal Radio app now and start listening to the very best in paranormal talk entertainment, including the network you're listening to right now. The Paranormal Radio app. 
Free in Google Play and the iOS App Store. Um, nothing happened again. That was sort of November time. And then in December, just before Christmas, I was out walking Maddie. And we were coming towards, again, the end of the walk and looking across to the west, going west out, out into the sky. I then saw this craft. It was uh, very, very silver. It wasn't very big. It wasn't as big as the one that I saw when I was 14. It was much smaller, so obviously much further away. Very silver, and it was moving very slowly, uh, and it was sort of circling I suppose, just seemed to be staying in one place, but just sort of moving in a small circle around, and it stopped. Uh, And so I watched this, and I was looking at it, and I was thinking, okay, what's it going to do? Is it going to come towards me? And it just shot off in the sky. And I've seen videos of these things going straight up in the air on a blink of an eye. But this one went off, at I don't know, 60 degrees, 70 degrees. It went off at an angle into space. And when it went, it went fast. But it went and left this real solid silver line behind it and it it looked absolutely beautiful i've never seen i've seen shooting stars it wasn't nothing like that this was amazing and and when it went and disappeared i was standing there and uh, this euphoria came over me i don't know where it came from i just felt so euphoric so lifted so light uh and so happy as well and i was like and and i couldn't say why i was thinking myself what's the matter with you you know why has this come over you and it it went off into the sky and that's the last experience i've had since uh, before christmas i go out walking most nights uh, when i can with my dog and i haven't seen anything else since then and that's that's really the the sort of story of my experiences with, with, with ufos when it comes to these intuition sixth sense mm. that you've you know you obviously exhibit yeah do you still have that now like when you said you could tell when someone's pregnant yeah not not so much no i mean as i say when i was younger i could definitely go in a room when i can remember going in a room one time and the partner i was with at the time in my 20s and saying oh she's pregnant and she didn't look pregnant, but I said, oh, she's brought Obviously, I said hello to her, uh, kissed her cheek, and they were, they were friends and that. Uh, and I come as, as I stepped away, I was like, oh, you know, my, my, my partner at the time, my girlfriend at the time said, uh, oh, she's not said nothing. I don't think so. It's OK. And then a couple of weeks later, she she told told my partner, yeah, he, uh, I did, she didn't know he was just, I said to her, did you know a couple of weeks ago? She went, no, I've just found out this week. And she was like, that's happened, you know, that sort of thing has happened on several occasions. But that was all in my 20s and 30s. I can't say I've picked up on that. I've, I've been in contact with people that have made me think I don't want to know this person. Uh, they put their hairs up on the back of my head and know oh, there's something wrong. So I've stayed away, I've shied away from whether that's somebody who I've met through friends or a party or, you know, through work or whatever. I come into contact with people and, uh, and I can still get that feeling. That definitely, I can still, if I get a sense that someone's not right, that that'll my, the hairs on the back of my head will go up. I'll, I'll just stay away from them and say, right. And if it's somebody that's around my family, I'll just say, you stay away from them, just, you know, not in contact with them. And, you know, my wife knows about that sort of thing. I've just got about and, and I have had it that I've got up before we're doing something and, and, and this this has come, either it come in my head or I've had this bad feeling that something's not right and I won't go. I'll say to my wife, we're not going today, we'll do it another day. And I've just not, you know, I've changed my plans just because of that. But I can't say in the last sort of 10, 15 years I've had it. Since, since I've been marrying our kids, I can't say I've had a lot, if any, sort of main experiences or, or anything like that. It's It's been nothing really, which was a surprise when it started happening, uh, um, you know, this sort of last sort of few months. Uh, instead of just being the one, I expected it just to be the one. I had a series of them. But, yeah, I mean, I, I don't know how it works. And, again, you know, you, I'm sure a lot of people who have had this, you ask the question, when, I, when that incident happened with those two guys with the knives, you know, I, I was asking myself, why why me? You know, why? Well, if someone's 
keeping me alive, should we say, because that's what it looked like. If they're not wanting me to be killed, for what purpose is it? You know, I didn't. I wasn't that great at school. You know, I didn't. I, I did school and I enjoyed school, but I wasn't very uh, academic. I wanted to be a chef, and I knew that for a while. And you know, I pursued that career and worked hard and did uh, really well. You know, I've worked uh, with a, with the royal family. I've worked with a lot of stars and met a lot of people. I've had a great life from it. As I said to you, I've worked abroad and travelled, and you know, I've had a pretty good life and quite in some ways unusual in some of the places that I've been and worked, and and I've enjoyed every minute of it. I've always tried to look for jobs when I've decided I want to move for something that's completely different to what I'm doing. I'll still be a chef, but a different sort of environment. The job's the same, but the environment doesn't need to be. So I didn't never really, once I became a head chef and an executive chef, I never wanted to really move from one hotel to another because the jobs is exactly the same the environment's slightly different but pretty much the same so you know i moved as i said to you, i moved abroad to get some experience i worked in russia worked in france worked in the middle east and in asia so to get those experiences and and, and sort of uh, you know take take myself out of a comfort zone as well so and in those times i i had can't think that anything sort of jumps out like some of those sort of main stories do i mean of course you should always go by your gut feeling i'm a firm believer mm. in that but mm. but to me this is this is a little bit more than that you know because those messages yeah intuition that you had you know it got you out of a quite a serious scrape twice there it got me out of a serious situation and, and, and i say you, you have to ask yourself well, for what purpose i mean i haven't done anything in my life that i haven't invented something that's been great for the world and i haven't you know saved anybody i don't know maybe it's to come who knows there must be a reason for it you know there's, there's got to be some sort of reason behind it but i don't know what it is well whether it can, you know it directly came from you or it came from an outside source yeah, I mean, I don't think it came from me. I don't think those messages, they, they, it was like, I suppose, telepathy more than anything. It wasn't a conversation. I wasn't talking to them. These messages were coming from in, into my head from somewhere. They weren't coming from within me. This was coming from some external source of this message is being put into my head. Do this and do it now sort of thing. You're in danger. It wasn't coming from me. I'm pretty, I'm 100% certain on that. And it was like in capital letters. When, when when I didn't move, I mean it wasn't always, but on that instance when I when it said stop and, and, and I started and I kept going uh, and when it was like right this is dangerous that it was like almost it sort of banged into my head sort of thing. I mean uh, it's difficult to describe it. I mean I would say it was like it was shouting, but it wasn't a voice if you know what I mean. It was like you know when someone's angry and they write in capital letters as if they're shouting. I used to have a manager who would send it in capital letters when he was angry about something, and you say oh you're always shouting on the computer. It was a bit like that. It sort of came in big letters, you know, run. <laughs> but yeah, very, yeah, very, very strange. I don't know. Can't, can't sort of, you know, quantify it really. I wonder if, if anything actually happened, you know, that, that night to anyone else. That I don't know. I mean, in London, I mean, I say I was, I was what, 16, 17 at the time. I didn't think to sort of look or, you know, look at the news or, or, or see. I didn't think like that. I went to work and busy. And then, you know, as I say, I kept, kept looking around at the streets after that because I thought oh maybe these people had spotted me and were picking on me for a reason you know maybe they live around a corner and I don't know like you know I just couldn't couldn't quantify it but I certainly kept an eye out for them in uh, um, you know in, in the uh, ensuing two weeks as it were but say nothing nothing ever happened like that again thank god you know to me I mean I've been I've been in scrapes and that and nothing's happened to stop me being in them but you know I've not been hurt I mean I've been in a couple of minor car accidents and but say nothing that was uh, uh, life-threatening or not, not been in any real sort of would say life-threatening situations where I haven't had those messages and I've gone into a life-threatening situation nothing like that you know it's all my life's been pretty boring really well I, I wouldn't say that 
<laughs> You've been Mon- to Mongolia as well. Yeah, yeah. I mean, as I say, I went abroad and, and through various people who I've worked with, one of my old bosses went out there and then he asked me to come and join him and we worked on gold and copper mining in, in, in Mongolia. By this time, I'd sort of moved away from the kitchen. When I was in uh, the Middle East, uh, I moved from the kitchen into operations and then never looked back from that either and sort of become an operations manager and a regional manager. And then in Mongolia, I, I managed all the operations in the country, but the main one was in the Gobi Desert. And, and there, you know, you've got huge skies. There's, it's a bit like some of your friends from America that talk about stargazing and they got these big open skies. Well, that was what Mongolia was like. Never saw anything. I mean, I would sit out there and look at the stars and think, oh, you know, we're going to see something. It's such a huge expanse and that, but see shooting stars and uh, and what have you, but nothing else. No, I uh, see anything there. But yeah, I've travelled around and not had any of the, any experiences when I was abroad. No, nothing like that. Yeah, you've had an interest in life. You know, yeah. I, I've, always, I've always said, you know, travelling is the best thing you can do. Definitely, yeah. Yeah, I gave my kids the bug. They both, you know, they're going to uni, my two eldest, and they want to work abroad and do the same thing. It gave them a real bug for it, so it's good. I think it expands the mind and expands tolerance and all those sort of things, you know, learning new cultures and meeting different people. And, you know, that's what life's about. Life's about experiences for me. It's not about possessions or, or, or that sort of thing. It's about making experiences. Yeah, that's exactly it. Wonderful. Okay. Um, just going back to your um, experience in 1978, all right? Yeah. Mm. Um, so you saw this disc object. Yeah, yeah. It looked like, well, from my from my vision, it was a cigar shape, but I think I was seeing it straight on because it never moved. While I was looking, it never moved. But for some reason, I don't know why, I can see also a disc in my head. I don't know why that is because I didn't see it like that. I see saw it when I visually looked at it as a cigar shape, and it was quite big, solid silver. One, it looked like one piece of metal. Because it was quite low, as I say, it was quite large. It was a blue sky, no clouds. It was a very clear visibility, and uh, yeah, very silver, and, and just it looked like one that I, I couldn't see any sort of lines or rivets or marks on there to say that it had been put together. It looked like one piece of metal, no wings, no exteriors, no jet flumes or anything like that. It was like someone had it on a piece of string hanging there, and it just wasn't moving. <laughs> I mean, obviously, it's it was a long time ago, and um, yeah, I mean, I yeah. was I was barely one year year old then. But when you you're watching the Pink Panther show, which is which was a good show, I used to enjoy I used to enjoy that. Yeah. Um, you looked at it, you looked at the TV. Yeah, and the show was just starting. The show was just starting. Yeah, it was just starting. I can remember having to pull myself away from looking at this thing. I can remember thinking I need to stop looking at this. Uh, and, I, and I sort of, you know, pulled my head away and turned to the TV and the show was just starting. And so the, the credits were coming up and I was like, right. And I suddenly thought, right, let's look back at it. And I expected it to be gone, to be honest with you. I thought, I'll look back and I probably just imagined it. And I looked back and it was still there. It hadn't moved. It had not moved. And then it seemed to me to be just, again, a couple of minutes. And I was thinking, right, I've got to stop looking at this thing. And I turned my head back and the Pink Panther show was not on anymore. I can't remember what was on, but it, I think I remember looking at that and thinking, oh, you know, did I turn the telly over? Or, and I looked, it was on, I mean, there's no remote controls then, but it was on the right channel. I can't remember what was on now, but it wasn't the Pink Panther show. I think it was. It might have been the news or something was on. And I was like, oh, and then I, I looked at the clock. And as I say, I think about an hour had gone, sort of maybe, maybe, maybe a little bit less than that. But I think the show was half an hour long for sure at that time. So it was definitely more than 
half an hour, but I don't think it was any more than an hour. And, and, and I looked at the clock and I was like, oh, and I thought, oh, the clock must have stopped or there's something wrong here. And I did feel that something was wrong. Uh, and, and I say, I then turned the telly off and went out into the kitchen to check the clock there. And the clock there was the same time. And I was like, oh, and I, you know, I, as I say, I was 14. I'd never experienced anything like that. And I was like, that's bizarre. And I thought, have I sat there and just stared at that thing for nearly an hour? I can't believe I would do that. But I don't remember an hour going. It felt to me as if when I pulled my head away, it had just been a couple of minutes staring at this thing. But I don't remember anything. I just know that I have gone past. And I'd never, it's only sort of later as you start to get internet and start to see these things and start to learn that, oh, you know, people have missing time and, you know, you watch movies like Fire in the Sky and then, you know, stuff like that when people have gone, you know, for longer times than that. And I'm thinking, oh, bloody hell. And I had the, obviously the memory of what happened when I was in bed. Bizarre. Yeah, can't explain it. It may have been the banana splits that was on. That was, that was about that kind of time. Yeah, well, yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, it was definitely the afternoon time. It was definitely sort of, uh, uh, I'd say, maybe five o'clock time, something like that. Yeah, yeah, I, I think it was around about that sort of time in the afternoon. It was sort of late afternoon time. Um, definitely the Pink Panther was on, I'm sure it was on in the evening, but I, I could be getting confused. It was a long time ago. And after after you you know, you know turned to the TV and you, you realised the show had finished, mm. did, you, did you recall seeing the object after that? No. No, 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 I don't. I just I took my head away. Well, pulled my head away, and when I come back, that was it, and it wasn't there. And no, it wasn't. It wasn't there. No, no, definitely not. It had gone. And um, yeah, yeah, I, I just I can't explain it. I mean, at fourteen and in seventy-eight, you know, there wasn't didn't have the internet, so you didn't have all that information of what's going on in the world. And you know, I'd never heard of anybody having an experience uh certainly not you know around this area you know or anyone who brought that subject up as only as i got a little bit older and you're you know you get a pies and someone brings the subject up and said oh i experienced this and anybody oh yeah i saw one and you know people there the people that have seen it and or, or had experience tend to oh right you know and you tell them your story the others laugh and not interested sort of thing like you know as i'm sure everybody's uh, experienced so i i certainly you know with, with the other stuff i haven't told anyone about that because i didn't want people thinking that i was crazy and i, and I think you know as you get older care less about it and certainly you know having listened uh, to various podcasts and i've listened to yours and the experiences of people i think that makes you feel okay yeah well you know there's other people who have gone through even bigger things i think than what i've done i mean you know and stranger than what i've experienced and people that have memories of you know uh, going and being being taken and, and what have you so good or bad i, I haven't had that so uh, probably good into some experiences but uh yeah that 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 sort of helps and, and, and so as so i listen to your podcast and i listen to uh, a couple of other ones uh as well uh, and some very very interesting stories there and i think you know as other, other listeners and people who have been on your show have said it's, it's helped them to sort of put their story out there and that's all it's for for me really is to to share this story as i said I, I shared it with my wife the whole story uh before i came on here so a couple of weeks ago she took it in her stride and was okay about it didn't mention it all to the kids but um we've certainly told my wife and if the kids want to listen to it they can they can listen to the story if they want but uh yeah i haven't shared it none of my family know i mean you know my mum or, or, or my sisters or anything like that i've never spoken to them about it um but yeah i just wanted to share it here with like-minded people really there's no judgment is there there's no judgment it's 
it's you know it's just about sharing that's that's as simple as it exactly yeah yeah and obviously you know i've come on shows and i look on i've done a little bit of research but nothing i don't not obsessed with it or anything like that just to see as i said to you i've been ill uh, over the last few years and, and just sort of looked to see if there was any connections with them and i know with cancer there is but this this, this other illness i've got i wasn't sure of me i've got that i suffer with you know whether that was uh, uh, connected with anyone but it'd be interesting to see if there is but uh, i haven't i saw one paper on it whereby this person uh, uh, had a group of uh, experiences and, and, and a number of them uh, was, were diagnosed with the same illness so but that's the only thing i've said i can't say there's anything much on the internet about it but it was just for trying to put connections together and see if i can make one and one or two and three add up to ten <laughs> it's not happening <laughs> Yeah, this is, we were yeah we were talking about before the show about me um, chronic fatigue. Yeah. I can't I can't quite remember the the term of me. It's quite it's quite long, isn't it? Yeah, that's why they call it me. <laughs> yeah, that's why that's why it's abbreviated. Um, but yeah, if there's a, if there's any listeners out there which have had experiences and do suffer me, just shoot us an email. You know, just kind of idea and see if there is some kind of connection. Yeah, because that, that means uh, when I was diagnosed with it, it wasn't. It's not something they can actually diagnose. They have to rule everything else out before they can diagnose it, and there's no cure. So I don't take, I don't really take medicine for that or anything like that. There's, you've just, I've just got to manage my lifestyle so I don't work, as I said to you, full time. Uh, I do other things now, and yeah, it's. Um, I, I was just curious. It could be nothing. Could just be a coincidence. Now I believe you have one more story of the paranormal. So let's head back to Scotland. Yeah. So when I worked in Scotland, uh, uh, I'll sort of leave names out of it, but uh, I worked for this uh, hotel, um, really sort of good hotel up in in, in Edinburgh, uh, and part of my job was that I would go uh, four times a year up to this castle, which was owned by American oil tycoons, and what they would do was they would come over for a week. They would invite guests you know i suppose people associate with your company but they would have uh, people that i knew like some mps and senators and they would fly in on private jets and uh, there's a lot of money involved and they had this huge castle beautiful castle up in scotland and i would go up there with a sort of an assistant in the kitchen there'd be a, a butler and there would be uh, uh, some housekeeping and they would then double up and do waitressing and that in the evenings and so there would be about anywhere between 15 and 20 guests there and, uh, they would come um i would provide them with breakfast lunch, afternoon tea and dinner. So quite a lot to do through the day. So it was a full on experience. I'd do the whole week then go home and have four days off and, and sleep and rest from it. Um, and as I say, we do this sort of four times a year. So this was, wasn't part of my contract, but it was part of what the hotel had been doing it for a long time. And the previous chefs had done it. And it, the wife always demanded it. It was the executive, the head chef that came and did it. That she wouldn't accept anybody else. So, you know, I had to do this role. So the first time I went up there and it was a lovely castle on the back of the castle, they had put an extension, which was in key to a degree with the castle and that extension had a brand new kitchen it had a delivery storage area fridges and you know uh, all the things you needed to sort of do all this sort of level of cooking and so it was a pretty good job we got paid pretty well for it uh, got extra money for it and that and so uh, uh, the first time I went up there we did the job and they had a housekeeper there and when we first arrived we were shown a little bit of the castle so you know all, all the sort of main areas downstairs where we would be serving food or anything like that but they showed us some of the other areas and then in one of the wings we had our rooms and we had lovely rooms just 
you know, same as to a degree what the guests had. And so we all, the boys all lived in one end and the girls had another area at the other end. Uh, I had my own room, very nice. Uh, and so I was chatting with the housekeeper one day and, you know, the stories come out that, you know, oh yeah, this place is haunted. You know, it was a very old castle. The story was that Rob Roy had been in prison there at one point. I don't know whether that was true or not, but that was a story people used to like to tell. Uh, but they'd gone through several housekeepers uh, this one had been there a couple of years and she wasn't phased. Obviously, this castle, this castle, like a lot of castles, had a ghost. You know, stories were that they'd been seen by the housekeepers and some of them had left because they were too scared. But this this lady had said she'd seen the ghost, but she wasn't bothered by it. And so um, we were like, OK, no problem. So at the back door to this to the kitchen, as you came out of the kitchen, you went down a little hallway. To the left, we had our lounge, which was for the staff where we could have a coffee. There was a TV in there and there was a toilet and bathroom shower in there. And then you go past that and there was the door that took you out into this, what I would say, loading bay area where we got our delivery, stored all our goods, had our fridges and all that. And so obviously to heat the castle was quite expensive. Um, so most of the doors would always close. And this particular door was a very heavy door uh, and it was mounted so that when you opened it, you let it go. It would firmly close shut every single time. And I'm coming back one day with my hands full and the door opens and it opens two or three inches. I heard the click, didn't see any, didn't see the handle or anything move, but I heard the click and the door just opened a couple of inches for me. And I was like, oh, oh yeah. So I walked through and I was like, that's strange. And so I went into the kitchen. And I said, that's bizarre. So I just walked up there and I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. You're seeing ghosts, you know, just sort of laughed it off. And I thought nothing of it. It didn't happen again for a day or two and then towards the end of the visit it happened again so I came and, I'm, and on this occasion again my hands were full I had a couple of boxes in my hand got to the door I heard it click straight away and the door opened a couple of inches and you you couldn't do that without actually physically doing it because of the weight of this door and the way it was set that it automatically closed behind you so that because obviously you didn't want all the air and cold to get out and so on this occasion I said thank you I just went thank you like that. Uh, after that, it opened every time. Whenever I come to that door with my hands full, that door opened each time for me. Didn't do it for anybody else. Uh, one of the guys who I was with at the castle one time, it didn't seem to want to do it when there was people around, but it did on one occasion, on, on an occasion when David, who was my assistant, he, I said to him, come out, and he came out with me, and he was carrying stuff as well, and I got to the door, and the door clicked and opened, and he was freaked out. He he didn't want to stay there anymore. He's like, I want to go home sort of thing. I said, I don't worry, you know, you never heard of a ghost killing anyone. What's the matter with you? So I said, I don't know what it is, but anyway, I said, just say thank you, and, you know, he seems to be, he seems to be happy with that. So I then, when it happened uh, going back to sort of first time it happened i spoke to the housekeeper at the time and said to her look you know this happened and can't really explain it i don't know why she said, that's interesting that has happened before other people have said that she said come on i want to take you and show you something so she took me up to one of the bedrooms i can't remember what number the bedroom was they all had numbers for the guests so she took me into this bedroom and she said, what do you see? So the bed was all made. And I sort of looked around the room and then I looked at the bed and I said, well, it looks like someone's been laying on that bed. She said, yeah, it does, doesn't it? She said, and we can't get rid of it. She said, we've changed the bed, changed the mattress, changed everything. But when you leave, the, when you make the bed and leave the room and come back, she said, someone's laying on that bed. It looks as if someone's laying on the bed. So she, she did it for me there and then she demonstrated it. She made the bed, smoothed it all out no wrinkles, left it really nice, uh, said, come out of the room. We came out of the room. We sat talking for four or five minutes. And they said, come on, let's go back in. Went back in and the bed was exactly the same. It looked like someone had just lain on it and got off. Very bizarre. 
and she said it happens every time, all the time. She said, I don't, they, they don't know what the history, why it would do that. Or they, 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 they didn't have like some people say, oh, yeah, this person died in here. And so it's the ghost of this old man or this old lady. They didn't really have a story for it. They said there's a lot of history with it, but they couldn't say what was real history. You know how things go and the stories get mixed up and, and sort of, you know, exaggerated, I suppose, over time. But there was some, something definitely, there was a vibe going on in that castle that was, was not uh, normal, I would say. Telepath is a weekly digital newsletter filled with the latest paranormal news, trending topics, and fresh articles from some of the most popular critical thinkers in the community today. Stay informed on your favorite paranormal podcasts and live streaming talk shows. Interact with the telepath and upload your paranormal story or pics. It could be featured in an upcoming edition. Sign up right now for the free telepath newsletter at paranormal.radio. That's paranormal.radio. So then this continued to happen with the door open and uh, I was staying there. So on this particular night, I went to bed. It was a long day. So we was I was up at sort of six in the morning to get the breakfast ready. And by the time we'd done dinner, then we would have something to eat and we'd have a drink, watch a bit of telly, you know, go to bed. I'd get to bed about 11, 12, you know, back up again at six o'clock next morning. So I was pretty tired. So I'd gone to bed this day as normal and then was woken in the night time. And it was definitely sort of middle of the night, two, three o'clock. And I woke up because my bedside table was shaking. It was rattling. And I sort of woke up and looked at it. I, was, I opened my eyes and it was right in front of me. And I could see everything sort of rattling around. And the lamp that was on there sort of rattled along and fell off the table. And I was like, I thought someone was playing a joke. So I looked I looked down to the floor to the bed, see if someone had sneaked in and, you know, was under the bed with their hands on the uh, legs, you know, shaking it. Because that's what I thought it was. And there was nothing there. There was nobody in the room. There was nothing there. And then it suddenly stopped. And I thought, okay, so I just, you know, I just turned over and went back to sleep, nothing. So I then my alarm went off at six and I woke up and I put the light on and I had two huge uh, sort of walnut or oak, I'm not sure, but there were two big solid chests of drawers and a, and, a, and a big wardrobe in this room. Wardrobe doors were open and every drawer in those two chests were open to, you know, another millimetre and they would have fallen out. And every single drawer on those things were all pulled out to this sort of minute spot of not falling. It was bizarre. And I was like, okay, what's that about? So I I don't know what it was about, but, you know, it freaked me out a little bit. And I I went and checked in with the other staff there. Said anything wrong with your room? Did you hear anything last night? No, no one heard a thing, nothing. I was like, okay, right, okay. So whether this was just saying hello or or what, I don't know. But uh, And that's it, really. That, That continued. I worked there for what four or five years and went up there to you know on all the occasions there I, I never felt any bad presence or any evil presence it all seemed to be sort of good humored always say thank you when the door opened for me was it really yeah that's the story interesting i mean we've got a yeah. we've got a helpful spirit and we've <laughs> yeah. got, we got a lazy spirit <laughs> <laughs> yeah may have been two different spirits i don't know it could have been the same one it could have been a different maybe they were just having a bit of fun with us but uh yeah it was it was very uh very interesting and i have to say the lad who, who i'd shown this to he didn't come back i had another guy come up he was too nervous he didn't like it he wasn't in a ghost and you know but uh yeah yeah we, we changed a couple of staff over those sort of four or five years i was there but uh but uh yeah it was very interesting interesting i like that yeah, yeah, that was, and I mean, I would get there as soon as it, as soon as the door, I would say thank you, 
and, and if I was the first first time when I was sort of arrived for that that year, if you like that season, and that, I was a thank you, how you doing, sort of thing, talk to it like you know. I never got an answer back, but uh, you know, I just thought it was a bit of fun, really. Like, <laughs> yeah, I, I lived in an old coach house in um, in Warwickshire. And um, we had a very similar thing there, and uh, we'd thank. <laughs> yeah, you know, so yeah. you you know you live you live in the same place, so why wouldn't you, you know, be, yeah, be exactly, courteous? Yeah, be, you know, don't be hostile, be welcoming. <laughs> you know, uh, I like to hear people's real life experiences. Okay, if you don't want to believe them, that's up to people. But I think you know most people that come on your show are pretty genuine. Um, like me, can't explain what it is, but you know I've had an experience of some sort. You know what it is, who knows? But definitely, you know when you see how many people have had these experiences. I mean, it's a bit like that report they put out. You, you know, if you get ten thousand, the one percent of them you can't explain. There's still a lot of unexplained UFOs. If you know what I mean, it's still. They can't all be, you know, they can't all be explained and they can't all be just, you know, made up. There's got to be something there, you know, because it's worldwide now, isn't it? It's, uh, and there tends to be hot spots. What's interesting is because I was I was thinking about this the other day that, you know, where I am, I'm not right next to a base, but around here is a lot of American bases, you know, especially in the 70s, 80s with the nuclear and all that. So I wouldn't be surprised if there was more activity in areas like that because it seems to be, you know, connected to UFOs is these, these bases that have got military storage and military weapons and what have you there definitely seems to be a sort of common denominator there with that sort of thing where there's a high sort of um uh, sightings well paul i really appreciate you coming on sharing that for our listeners today no problem and if anything else happens i'll just i'll drop you a note you know if there's anything else comes up while i'm here i don't, I don't know yeah it's, i sort of think got, got a feeling that one that shot across the sky and gave us that feeling of euphoria was was a, was a maybe a goodbye or that they're, they're away maybe for a time i don't know but you just never know do you so but if i have anything i'll, I'll let you know i'll drop you a line that's wonderful paul all right you enjoyed you enjoy the rest of the day okay you do keep up the good work mate all right take, take care take care cheers cheers Bye-bye. paul that is all for this week keep updated and connected with the show on twitter facebook and instagram and if you have an encounter you would like to share on the podcast you can email me at ufochronicles at gmail.com or reach out to me via the contact page on my website at ufochroniclespodcast.com. A big thank you to Gareth and Paul for sharing tonight, and thank you all for listening. I will be back next week. Till then, stay safe and keep watching the skies. Goodbye. <laughs>